0: This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Happy New Year, Dave. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm a few months late. I get it. But not really, because for a fly fisher, spring is the beginning of the fly fishing new year. It's the first of the three best seasons, at least for those of us who fish primarily in the northeast, the upper midwest, or the northwest. And once in a while, we'll get an email from uh, some of you who uh, live in, in the south, and you uh, kind of rub it in that you're you're enjoying a winter fly fishing. But Hey, for uh, those of us uh, north of the imaginary equator in the United States, uh, one of the joys (laughs) Dixon, Yeah, that's right, the Mason-Dixon line. There you go. Uh, You know, we love uh, spring, and one of the joys of spring fly fishing is dry fly fishing. Uh, Typically, when we wrap things up in the fall, we're really slinging streamers and and using egg patterns, drifting those, maybe big stone flies down the yep. the Gardner River in Montana. And then winter means sitting home on the couch watching football or, or maybe venturing out once or twice. But fly fishing really starts in earnest in the spring. And today we want to talk about uh, spring dry fly fishing. You know, you may need to start out with nymphs and that's that's fine, but and streamers, but man, we, we love those days when Uh, we can start uh, floating things on the surface that we can see and watching those uh, uh, trout come up and uh, try to take them away. So, Dave, what flies are we typically fishing dry in the spring? And we're uh, we're talking here, especially to newcomers, if you're new to fly fishing and think, well, where do I start? Uh, What kind of things are we fishing, Dave?
1: There are basically two that we want to talk about today, BWOs, or Blue Winged Olives, and caddis now we have fished crane flies in the later spring in the wisconsin driftless and of course march browns in the west and of course there are a host of other uh hatches could talk about flies but we're really talking about the biggies today blue-winged olives and caddis now, fishing the surface for blue-winged olives, or BWOs, can happen in March, but it really picks up in April. And by mid-April, yeah, it does. Uh, caddisflies are starting to emerge as well. Yeah. So let's start with BWOs. Now, Steve, what do we need to know about that fly?
0: Well, these flies are everywhere in, in all types of water. I mean, you'll, you'll find them in slow, medium, and fast currents. Uh, they live in Freestone Rivers, uh, Spring Creeks, you'll find them in Tailwater. So th- that's probably why uh, we say, hey, these are one of the big two, because you, you do find them everywhere. Uh, what's interesting is that BWO hatches, even though they can occur every month, they're most prolific in April and May, and then again in September and October. Uh, so for the spring, that's, uh, that's something that you really want to key in on. Um, best time of the day for these hatches is late morning to early afternoon and that's of course because it's the warmest part of the day Uh, cloudy rainy conditions that are miserable for uh, fly fishers are just great for uh, intensifying these hatches and maybe even lengthening them a bit and I think we found too haven't we Dave that in the late spring, at least in the driftless, that the evening's a good time for them.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. Generally, that window 10 to 2, 10 to 3 uh, in the spring is really good for them, but sometimes later in the evening on on the driftless. Yeah,
0: I I remember in the Wisconsin driftless near Timber Cooley in a a creek that we won't uh, name, but... Uh, you know, smelly, sometimes right at dusk. A creek to be named later. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <Yes>. Maybe. <laughs> or that we probably named on our podcast, but for whatever reason we aren't today. But it, it's there if you dig back. If there's the, yeah, there's, there's the nugget two. for listening to all the past <laughs> podcasts. Yeah. So yeah, we've we've really hit it right at right at dark, and it's kind of a lot of fun. So, you know that that's something that you'll. Um, yeah, that you'll find late evening.
1: Yeah. By the way, there is a difference between uh, BWOs and betis, or a slight difference. The Latin name for BWOs is betis, and technically the BWO is a subspecies a subspecies of betis, but many fly fishers use BWO and betis as synonyms. And also some call BWOs little olives. I remember last fall when we were fishing fishing, uh, Quake Lake with Curtis. Mm-hmm. We were later in the morning. We started dropping uh, a, a merger betas yeah. and or a betas emerger, merger. I think mm-hmm. is the right way to say it. And I remember once uh, the top fly was was I think a parachute Adams. And I, I remember watching, but basically that emerger got sucked in by a, a trout underneath the water. Man, it was a betas a merger.
0: That is that is amazing, isn't it? All right, so we've talked about blue winged olives. Okay,
1: that was horrible. That was not amazing. Yeah. <laughs> You've okay. got to give me something better than that. I know.
0: <laughs> oh. Wow, Dave, that yeah. was
1: really, really great. <laughs> <laughs> I might.
0: My bad. Oh, goodness. All right. We better transition here to the, the other main kind of fly, and that's uh, that you're going to run into in the spring, and that's. Uh, that's caddisflies, and and no, we haven't forgot about midges. Uh, they're uh, they're they're kind of uh, ubiquitous and always yes, there. Yes, that, that's right. But what about caddisflies, Dave? What do we need to know about caddis?
1: So BWOS are mayflies. Uh, caddis are not mayflies. Unlike mayflies, caddis live for maybe a few days to a couple weeks. So, example, mayflies live really for one day generally or two that days. really is amazing it is you spend your life under yeah. if you think your life is insignificant wow Steve, i know think of think of a mayfly boy i'd <laughs> rather be, be a
0: caddis and live what 10 times as long yeah 10 <laughs> days instead of one day huh
1: that's crazy yeah, that's great so caddis uh they're out uh they live longer than do uh, mayflies so their numbers accumulate as as the hatch continues, so so the air seems thick with them during the heart of the hatch. You've had that during the Mother oh, Caddis hatch. yeah. Right? Um, when when my folks used to,
0: yeah, my folks used to live right on the banks of the Yellowstone in Paradise Valley, right right at Mill Creek, and I remember one summer. This is back in the in the mid '80s when I was working on a ranch in Paradise Valley that I'd come home you know, and in the evening, and, and I'd want to sit outside, and uh, good night, we, you could hardly sit outside, we'd have to go inside, because the caddisflies were so thick, it was just crazy. So yeah, the air can really get thick with them, and maybe too, it's because they have such large brown uh, wings that make them quite visible, and, and uh, that's... Pretty easy to, to spot caddis yeah. were on the water. Yeah, I guess we should mention, too, that in the driftless, we run into black caddis.
1: Well, uh, for years, I would have a, a tan-bodied or olive-bodied caddis and not catch anything. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. You know, finally figured out, hey, why don't I ask the local fly, ship own, fly shop owner yeah. or look at the actual caddis. And so I picked up a bunch of parachute, black-bodied caddis. Now, the, the key is the parachute because... You cannot see those things, those black bodied caddis. Um but in the driftless, at least where we fish in the streams that we fish, those black bodied caddis really, really do work. So color is an important piece. And you need to know that if you're fishing caddis and 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 what color they're actually yeah uh they're they're striking.
0: Absolutely.
1: Given that, what patterns do you like, Steve?
0: Well for blue wing olives BWO's I usually just use a size 18 or 20 uh, parachute Adams. I mean yeah, they're, you, they're
1: You love that parachute oh, atoms. I really
0: do. You can get a parachute blue wing olive but honestly I've never really had a situation where I, I felt like well, the, the trout will take the parachute BWO, but not the not the parachute atoms. And I'm not saying that 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 doesn't happen, but I've rarely f- had that happen. So, so the
1: size is 18 to 20.
0: Yeah, usually I, I think I, I I don't know. Maybe in some cases you you could go to a 22, is but a 16 is pretty big yeah, for a, yeah. a bluing olive.
1: I generally use the BWO. Um, pattern yeah with the that's, parachute, that's great uh with a parachute uh what's what's the word with a parachute
0: yeah the parachute bwo yeah. yeah so
1: but i will say that the that the parachute atoms is much easier to see than the bwo parachute the yeah, parachute okay. bwo
0: it's it still has a
1: white post or does it, it? does it? but for some reason yeah. the it just the the parachute atoms just sit so nice and high yeah i think and, that's
0: what it is maybe yeah. Well, and that might be the difference between a parachute BWO and a parachute Adams is, is where it's sitting. If if the Adams rides a little higher, uh, maybe that BWO works better. If if it's you know they're they're more in the film.
1: I was just reading Gary Borger this morning. Uh, I was on his uh, website, GaryBorger.com. Uh, We've interviewed Gary several times through the years, or at least two times. Yeah, a couple times. Yeah, a couple times. And Gary, of course, was a consultant on the movie A River Runs Through It, and is really a fly fisher fisher extraordinaire. Yeah, he is. He has a site, garyborger.com, and I was reading on there, and he was saying that the parachute Adams, and I know this is patently obvious, but I'm going to say it because it's a good reminder, really, for all, I think it's both mayflies caddis, uh, and midge, I think, hatch at the surface. So, he said the parachute atoms really imitates, <laughs> you, can, you can catch fish. That's interesting. For yeah. all three, mm-hmm. right? That's and interesting, so, yeah. Uh, it's a good example yeah. that sometimes you don't have to have the exact mayfly. No, you don't,
0: right? you don't. Now, if you're getting some spinner fall, you might That's you know, the, the matings yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. Then, then you might try a red quill spinner or a uh, blue quill spinner but uh, yeah those are kind of the standard BWO patterns. I guess for caddis, I mean the, the elk hair caddis is just a standard and that's gonna be a tan or a green or a black body depending on where you're fly fishing. We've talked about black in the driftless. You can use a black bodied fly with tan hair but uh, some of the ones that we've used as well have have black hair. I think it's just dyed black. Uh,
1: Absolutely impossible to see. Yeah,
0: yeah, it is. And That's is. You're, you're right. That's where you really need the post. I mean, I used to tie my Elk hair caddisflies with a, a red strip of, uh, uh, I think I'd put Antron body wool in it just so I could see those things when they're out. Yeah. You know, you, you got a hundred other tan caddisflies fluttering around. You can't even see yours. So, yeah, putting on red, I, I, I wonder what white would have... Worked like I I should try that sometime when I'm, you know, if I'm in the thick of a caddis hatch because I think you could still see it then, but at least with red or orange, it really differentiated. You could say, "Oh, there's there's actually is my fly." And hey, why are they eating all the other ones
1: (laughs) except (laughs) mine?
0: (laughs) Except mine, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so any uh, what what tips would you give Dave for for fishing? You know, these dry flies in the spring.
1: I always fish a dry with an emerger i don't know i've just started to do that over the last couple years so i drop uh an emerger pattern you know if i'm fishing i might maybe a baitus, uh, yeah merger pattern mm-hmm. maybe six inches eight inches i just have done that and i i'm i'm telling you it kind of doubles the amount of fish i catch yeah maybe mm-hmm. doesn't double it but actually i remember reading again, I read, maybe it was two or three days ago, another piece by Gary Borger. He he actually puts wax on there like you do for the fly. Interesting. Or dressing uh-huh. on the emerger yeah. so that it sticks in the film. Huh. Uh. Which I thought was really interesting. That was really idea. Uh, I have a never done idea. that. Any other tips that you have?
0: No, I don't think so. Um,
1: Cast well? Yeah. No yeah, drag? No, you're right, right,
0: yeah. All of... <laughs> yeah all of the basics yeah shorter casts are are good and uh maybe it's uh you know well if they're not hitting on the surface don't be stubborn and and put on a nymph
1: yeah and so what are some nymphs you might use to to, for uh bwo's or caddis
0: yeah you know for bwo's i mean the the classic nymph pattern is the pheasant tail yeah it really is but really some variation of it i mean i a beadhead prince, we usually work, or a, or a hare's ear, which was really, uh, I think, designed to imitate a, a PMD, pale morning done. But good night, pheasant tail, hare's ear, beadhead prince, they they all work yeah. uh, for that. You know, for caddis, uh, th- there is a beadhead caddis pupa, and you know, depending on who ties it, it may they may name it something a little different, but just a standard yeah caddis pupa and we always like bead heads on our nymphs that's kind of a given but uh, you also
1: like the red fox squirrel yeah
0: nymph. i really do and I, strangely enough that's that's actually used a lot for a pmd nymph uh, even though pale morning duns as the the name suggests have that pale color when they hatch and they're fluttering around in the in the nymph stage it's a little bit more what, brownish orangish and that anyway a red fox squirrel nymph that you might tie up for pmds i i tied those things up just to use for caddis and i and i had some success on that in the spring and especially on the yellowstone river in montana right before uh the the caddis hatch really uh, uh took off and forced but that the main
1: pale morning done you know when their main part of their hatch is in the season right or, right me, yeah it's is gonna in, gonna in the dead in of summer yeah it's in I the summer right yeah, 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 yep,
0: yeah. yep. Absolutely. So I guess what we're saying today is uh, two of the most important flies to imitate if you're out there spring dry fly fishing. uh, If you have uh, BWO patterns, if you have caddis patterns, uh, you'll have pretty much what you need. And
1: by the way, Steve ties a lot of his flies, but I don't. I buy uh, all of my flies and I have several fly shops that I really like. A couple out in Montana, one out in the Driftless. And I'll just purchase flies from there. Sometimes I'll pick them up when I'm out there. Other times I order them online. But you can buy all these uh, if you're not a tire, and so there's no, no stress there.
0: All right, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Here's a comment from Glenn. Uh, this is not our friend who's the uh, fly fishing guide back in the Adirondacks, uh, but another Glenn with two N's. And he is commenting on our advice about watching to see if the bubbles on the the surface of the the stream or river, if they pass your strike indicator, uh, because that's a sign you're getting deep enough. You see, the idea is that your indicator uh, will match the speed of the current underneath the surface. And we know that uh, the current's slower at the bottom of a river or stream. So when your indicator's slower than the bubbles, you know you're low enough. Alright so that's the backstory. This is what Glenn wrote. He said a local fly fishing expert told me that you can use a larger indicator and make sure you keep mending so that the line is always well behind the indicator to slow down your drift. I would like your take on that theory. I suppose I can see where a large indicator would be slower for a short distance due to the mass. Wow, I, I don't know, Dave. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that sounds right, although I wonder if a larger river with a stronger surface current would kind of minimize the effect of more mass. In other words, maybe that technique would work better on smaller rivers or streams. That's really interesting. Yeah, it, it's hard that's to
1: say. That's a nuance yeah, that I'm not sure I I've guess, ever thought about. Right. It. Well, I, I know I've never thought yeah, about it.
0: and I guess my authoritative definitive answer is I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I, what I do know, though, is that uh, wow, watching, you know, watching the bubbles and, and your strike indicator and, and noticing if, if your strike indicator is slowing down, that, that's when you really know you're, uh, you're getting to the bottom. So I, I, to me, I guess that's so reliable I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't worry about the, the bigger indicator. But hey, may, maybe it works and maybe somebody else has had experience. If that's the case, uh, let us know. Well, now for the final segment of our podcast, this is a fairly new feature we've added called Hook Set. And this is where we set the proverbial hook and wrap up our podcast by sharing a quote that we reflect on for a few minutes. Uh, Dave, it's interesting that you mentioned Gary Borger because today's quote comes from, drum roll, our friend Gary Borger. And it's in his book, Nymphing, a basic book. This is what he says. He says, The best places to find trout are what Tom Wendelberg has called edges. Where calm water meets the currents. Where shallow water meets deep water. Where the bank and obstructions meet the currents. It's here that drifting food organisms tend to be concentrated. End of quote. So fish the edges.
1: Yeah, that's really good. The edges would be like the, the bank. Um, especially in a small stream you know the the edges of just the actual stream itself right? Mm -hmm. where you step in often I was thinking about this the other day I was out with uh, a a new fly fisher and it was a really really small stream that we were fishing but we were fishing streamers so we would get on top of the run um, and cast down and then strip it back and one of the things I did as much as I could was to to actually Feed out more line and let the the streamer drift to the actual bottom of the pool or the end of the pool, as opposed to wherever your fly lands once it hits the hits the river, not the fly but the streamer. Yeah, mm-hmm. I ended up catching a, quite a few fish that day, and I think some of it was I was fishing the edges of the bottom of that pool. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it really does. And
1: and so he's absolutely I not I think I think I know he's absolutely correct. Uh, on the about the edges of whatever you're fishing
0: i've i experienced that last fall when we were fishing the yellowstone river in yellowstone national park and there was a it was a huge well, long nymphing run right below a, a cliff you remember that oh run, yeah. Dave? Yeah, yeah, and yeah yeah, man the, the place to pick up fish was yeah it was right between the you know the edge or the, the seam between the the, the fast water uh, but then the the slow water and and that edge, I mean that that defining boundary line was that's where the fish were. Yeah, yeah it's it's amazing. That's, and that's a because, great insight. Because, as he
1: says, that's where the drifting food organisms yeah. tend to be concentrated. Yeah.
0: And the other thing, of course, you can do is to watch the the bubbles. You know, we've talked about watching. Just talked about the indicator and 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 watching the. Uh, uh, you know the speed of your indicator versus the bubbles, but why is your indicator on the bubbles in the first place? Well, that's the food line, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. The and food so line. that's that's where you want to be uh, fishing, and, and then you start to figure out, yeah, that that always occurs right where uh, those uh, yeah where those edges are, and yeah, up next to banks. I mean, we've talked before about undercut banks. That's a you know that's such a great place. I think that's
1: where your brother Dave is such a master with when he dry flies or when he dry fly fishes and he always outfishes me when he does that because he just knows he's one he's a great caster uh he just is able to tuck that fly right next to the edge of the bank and it it sits there and sits maybe if the water is circling there and then all of a sudden it drifts down right on the edges and I'm always impressed with how many fish he can pull out yeah. uh, of a small run like that. And, and, and it's all because of the way, where he casts his fly, which is right at the edge or edges of these different seams. I think another, so basically what you're saying is seam is a, is a, is a synonym of edge. Yeah,
0: I think so. Yeah. It's a less edgy way to say it. Yeah. I'm sorry. (laughs) That that really we need to to wrap this up. That was really bad. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Lunchtime yet? Yeah, such a lame joke. Yeah. Yeah, it is. All right, Dave. That's all
1: for today. (laughs) All right. Thanks again for listening.
0: Oh my. Well I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are two guys in a river.
1: For the love of lunchtime. And fly, fly fishing. fishing.